this morning we're going to talk about giving more. And the title of this morning's message is Give More, a.k.a. Scrooged. Scrooged. And so we all know what that term is around the Christmas time. And a lot of people are thinking right now, it's like, Pastor, I wish you would wake, make up your mind. Last week you told us to spend less. This week you're telling us to give more. Really, what do you want us to do in this whole process? Do we spend less or do we give more? I want you to prepare your heart to give more today. We want to encourage you to spend less last week on stuff that really didn't matter so you can devote all your energy on stuff that really does matter this week as we go out to give more. Now, many people have probably already thought it is like, I may not show up tonight because I really can't afford it. The truth of the matter is you can't afford not to do it. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, I didn't do anything. I didn't buy a ticket. I didn't sign up to bake cookies. I have nothing to do with this so far. Good. Now it's your time to step up. This is an area where you can't afford to do nothing by doing nothing. It literally can cost you everything. A lot of people say, well, no harm, no foul. If I don't do nothing, I don't get anything, but I don't lose anything. No, the reality is if you do nothing, it can cost you everything. And we're going to find out how that works here in just a few minutes this morning. If you have your Bible still with you this morning, open them up to Matthew chapter 25. I usually read out of the ESV version. This morning I'm going to read out of the NASB, the New American Standard Bible or Standard Version. And so I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 25 in verse number 34. And so if you don't have your Bible this morning, just kind of follow along with me. And I did this for a reason because there's a specific phraseology in this passage that changes everything about the way you interpret it. And it's a two-letter word. And some of y'all are thinking a three-letter word down to a two-letter word. What could be the big difference in that? I'll show you here in just a minute. This is why it can cost you everything. The Bible says in verse number 34 of Matthew 25, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer to them and say, truly, I say unto you, to the extent that you did to one of these my, uh, brothers of mine, you have even then to the least of them, you have done it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. And I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not come visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when? did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to the extent that you did not do to one of these, to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. The big difference in phraseology out of this whole scripture is one three-letter word that changes to a two-letter word. Most versions of the Bible say, to those of you who have done to the least of these, you have done it for me, or those of you who have done for the least of these, you have done it for for me. The NASB says those of you who have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. A lot of people say, well, there's not any difference, Pastor. You're splitting hairs here. I want to split hairs just for a minute for a particular purpose because when you do something that says for someone, you really don't have to have interaction when I do something for someone. But to do something to someone, many times it takes personal interaction with that person. Um, Rusty, would you stand up? I've got this beautiful plant for Rusty. He's been sick and he's been in prison. He's got his stripes on this morning. And so, hey, I got to do something for 
Rusty. All right, Daniel, can you give this to Rusty, please? I did it for him. Never had any action with him. Never talked to him. Did he still get the plant? And a lot of us in the church, we stand around and we pat ourselves on the back and we applaud ourselves. Like, Woohoo! I did something for someone. I'm so excited I did it for him. I never had to talk to him. I never had to speak to him. I never had to hug him. I never had to love him. But I did it. And I am pumped because I did something for him. If I'm going to do something to him, a lot of times that means I got to come to him. See, a lot of times we as a church, we can give and meet a lot of needs by doing it for something for someone. So a lot of times when people say, hey, I'm short on my electric bill, what can the church do for me? Not to me, for me. So for them, we don't even contact them, we get their bill and we pay the electric company not having a lot of interaction with them sometimes. Is that a fault of us? Yes, by all means. Uh, we're trying to change it, okay? We're, we're working on it. But if I do it to him, Jesus said, whatever you did to the least of these, you've done it to me. If Rusty's sick or in prison or anything like that, when I do it to him, I can't go through an intermediate to do it to him. If I'm doing it to him, I've got to make the personal effort to say, Rusty, I've been praying for you. I'm hoping things are good in your life. I heard you've been sick or I heard something's going wrong. I just want to bless you with this beautiful poinsettia from the church and know that I love you and I'm here to be here for you in your life. I did it to him, not just for him. I want to challenge you in the area to do it to him, not just for him. A lot of people bought maybe a couple pages of the tickets to say one person, one ticket equals one person. I did it for him. Good, I'm glad you did it for him, but now I'm ready for you to do it to him. I'm ready for you to get your hands dirty a little bit. Pastor, I don't like nursing homes that much. Really, the people in there don't like being there either. Ask any of them. They'd rather be home. They would rather be somewhere else. They would rather be anywhere but that nursing home. The fact of the matter is they're there. And so I just don't want us to do something for them. I want us to do something to them. I want us to change their life in person. And so I'm going to challenge you this afternoon to come out at 4 o'clock. And as we go through the rest of this message, get out of your mind that I've done something for somebody. And I'm ready to do something to somebody. I'm ready to change their life. And when I do something for the least of these, it says I'm doing something to Jesus. When I'm doing something for the lady in the nursing home or the elderly man in the nursing home, I'm doing it to Jesus. If I go into the prisons and I do it for them, I'm doing it to him. Jesus said, I want personal interaction with you. And the way you get personal interaction with Jesus is by doing it for somebody else. Because when you do it for them, you're doing it to him. This is where I said, doing nothing can cost you everything. Because Jesus said, whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. I don't want to be the people standing in heaven looking in front of Jesus and him saying, hey, I was sick and you have seven nursing homes in your community and you never came and visited me. I was in the hospital and we have over 50 rooms in our hospital and I never saw you once. 110 cells in our prison and then we even got to farm prisoners out to other locations because our jails are overpacked. It's because the church has been busy doing stuff for prisoners, not doing stuff to prisoners. Well, we're happy to send them a meal every now and then, but we want to start doing it to them. And we want to start doing it in their lives and getting involved with them. This morning, I need to start doing something to other people because when I do it to them, I'm doing it to Jesus Christ. How many of y'all remember this, the movie called A Christmas Carol? It's got Ebenezer Scrooge and you got Tiny Tim. And, but you remember this because there's a million of these out there. You got the one with Bill Murray. You got the one with the Muppets in it. I mean, you got them all across the board with this story of Christmas Carol, okay? And so if you don't, you haven't been in Christmas in the United States of America because everybody knows what Ebenezer Scrooge is. That's where we get the term Scrooge as it comes about. I want you to understand this morning as we go out to do something to someone that many of us fall under this victim mentality of we're the Scrooge. We're the Scrooge. 
And many of us have made excuses of why we can't even be there this afternoon because I have this going on and pastor, I'm not called there and pastor, you know me, I'm a behind the scenes type person and pastor, you know me, we got family Christmas again today for the fourth time in the next three weeks, amen. And I got so much to do. And we end up developing a Scrooge mentality. Now, when we think of the term Scrooge, we think of somebody who's just not a giver. Because Bob Cratchit worked for Ebenezer Scrooge, and he paid him very minimal wages. And you're saying, well, old Scrooge, he just didn't give money. Old Scrooge, he just kept it all to himself. Yeah, in part. But do you realize when the Scrooge mentality came upon him, he didn't just not give his money. This is what happened to him. He became mean, bitter, and selfish. But on the vice versa of that, when we become Givers and we start doing stuff to people, we start doing the exact opposite. We have the exact opposite effect in our life. I said earlier, by doing nothing, it can cost you everything. See, some of you are sitting here this morning and you're resonating in your spirit what Damon said. You're at your midnight hour and you're ready for God to break through and do something amazing and miraculous and supernatural in your life. And you've been worshiping fully with your hands lifted high. You've been, you've been saying, God, I'm going to spend less this week. I'm going to be a good steward. But the fact of the matter is the only thing you've really been doing is being stingy. And you've been keeping it to yourself because your worship's about your breakthrough, not about worshiping him. Your spending less is about you having more money in your pocket, not you not blessing somebody else or you not being a good steward. And so even this morning, you're sitting here in the midst of this congregation and you're saying, oh, pastor, I would love to, but how many of you know when you start bringing a breakthrough in somebody else's life, God may just bring the breakthrough in your life? Some of you who are truly saying, God, I need you to come through in supernatural, exponential fashion. If you don't touch me this afternoon, I'm not even going to make it till tomorrow. Listen, God may be saying, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And whatever you haven't done to them, you haven't done to me. So the very catalyst in God moving in your life through somebody else is you moving in somebody else's life. And if we're going to overcome this Scrooge mentality in the church, not just doing stuff for people, but doing stuff to people... It's going to take a miraculous breakthrough. And I'm going to challenge you to take your first step of faith this afternoon. As we begin to do stuff to people, not for people. And so as we begin this process, I want to talk to you just for a minute about what these passages says. We can't afford to be a Scrooge towards the resources of God. The first thing we got to understand is a lot of people saying, well, my time, my energy, my effort, my money, my family, my this, my that, my, 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 oh, my. We can't afford to be a Scrooge towards the resources of God. And what I mean is if you start hoarding your time, there's going to be a week coming up that you say, God, I just need more time. And he's going to say, whatever you did to the least of these, you did it to me. You can't afford to be a Scrooge with the resources of God's or to the resource of God's. Listen, generous people understand these three concepts. They realize that everything they have is a gift from God anyway. As a generous believer, those who give tithes and offerings regularly, those who are here time in, time out, day in, day out, and you're just getting, you've given your heart and soul to the church, and I'm not even talking about paid staff. I'm talking about you, the volunteer, who do this with a whole heart, heavy heart, and the ministry of God is on your life. Generous people understand how they keep going and doing these things is not because it's their own ability. They realize that everything they have, it's all God's anyway. Everything they possess, it's God's in the first place. Everything they do, it's God's in the first place. All their time, it's God's time anyway because I've been bought with a price and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. They understand generous people, whether it's time, money, energy, effort, abilities, talents, whatever they give, they understand they give it and use it for the kingdom because it's not theirs anyway. Generous people understand that their possessions or their resources are a gift from God and God owns them all anyway. Generous people realize that what they own is not theirs. It's a resource from God given for them to manage. 
How are you managing the resources of God in your life? And get your mind off money completely just for a minute. No money involved here. We'll get back to money in a minute because it does get involved. How are you managing your time, which is your most valuable resource from God? A lot of people read something like this, they think of money, money, money. Actually, the most valuable resource you have from God is not your money, it's your time. If the Bible says God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and the earth is his footstool and his streets are paved with gold and his gates in heaven are made of pearls and all those things, money is not God's biggest need. The fact of the matter is God's biggest need is your time here on this earth. This is why God said you are not promised another day. So take heed in how you live. So with your time, how are you managing your time for the kingdom of God's sake? With your energy, how are you using your energy for the kingdom of God's sake? See, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to Jesus Christ. So as you begin to think about your time, your energy, your effort, and now even your money in this situation, how is God in the picture of it? Generous people view themselves as a manager of God's resources, not as an owner of stuff. The next of that is non-giving people have this backwards. They falsely believe that what they have is theirs. That's why it's hard to let go of. See, we are under the false concept that what we have is really ours. That's why it's hard for us to get rid of it. The time I have is really mine because I am not promised another day. So that's why it's hard for me to give my time because it's my time. Well, the fact of the matter is it's God's time and it's always on God's time and you live on God's time. And the fact of the matter is, it's not your money, it's God's money. You live on God's money. He just asked for a tenth of it back. Non-generous, non-giving people have this backwards. They realize or they think what they have is theirs, and that's why they're not generous with it. And many people are under the delusion in the church that being generous is being a bad steward because, well, if I stopped on the side of the road and gave that guy 20 bucks, Damon, I don't know if he's spending it on cigarettes or alcohol or whatever. I've heard that excuse so many times. If the Spirit of God quickens you, if he stirs on the inside of you to pull over and to help, I'm going to challenge you to be obedient. Some of you ladies are thinking, well, my husband would kill me if I pulled over on the side of the road and this man was walking down the street. Well, here's what my wife does. She'll be driving around the road. She'll see somebody who's in need. She don't roll down the window. She cracks it. And <laughs> I need you to be obedient to the Spirit of God. And if God's calling you to a place... If God's calling you to a purpose, if God's calling you to do something, and some of you guys are irked in your spirit right now, I can just sense it of how dare he tell me to pull over on the side of the road I'm running late for work anyway. <laughs> well, the reason you may be a little late is because that man who you just passed may have been the reason that you're late or the reason that you're late is you're just irresponsible and didn't get up, okay? <laughs> I had to break it up somehow. Y'all are getting too serious on me. <laughs> So I need you guys to understand that in your everyday life, not just this afternoon, I know we're putting intentional focus on it this afternoon, and we're focusing on this afternoon, we're going to give more, give more, give more, and today's going to be a great day of giving more, but I don't want it to end today. I want it to be an everyday event in your life that you decide, I'm going to give of my time, my energy, my efforts. If I don't have any money, Peter said this, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give unto you, and he took the man's hand, he said, get up and walk the man didn't want money he was begging for money but he didn't want money most people aren't really in the need of money they're in the need of a prayer person to come and say get up and let's do this and sometimes there are really people in the world who just need a handout they need not you giving them something they need your hand sticking out to grab them by the hand and pull them up and help them stand just for a short time so that they can get back on top so that they can get back to a place that they've never been before so that they can go somewhere that they've never done now, I need you guys to understand whatever we've done to the least of these, we're doing it to Jesus. 
And so that time you stick your hand out to that person who you don't know if he's going to do the right thing or not with the $20 bill you gave him. You're not giving it to that person. Jesus, if this was you, I would do it for you. So this is for him, so I'm doing it for him. You know, God tested me on that this week. I was driving down the road, going down 154, coming back to Sulphur Springs. And there's this man walking down the street. I'm not going to make any bones about it. He was a tall, big black man. And I drove right by him. I said, I sure am glad there's a lot of other vehicles who can pick him up on the way. Because God, he's not going my direction. He's going the opposite way. And God said, two, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. So I kept on driving. I said, yep. <laughs> Y'all, I got a schedule to keep. <laughs> I had a meeting I was going to. In fact, the meeting I was going to was an Advent conspiracy meeting with two other pastors that I couldn't be late for. And God said, two. And I said, two. <laughs> and about half a mile down the road by now. And I said, God, I'm just too far. Somebody else will get him. He said, yep, you'll get him. <laughs> so I pulled the Jeep over in the ditch, turned around. And I'm not even going to make myself like, oh, I'm this good Christian. I was like, oh, praise Jesus, the opportunity to minister. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm going to be late again. <laughs> I'm saying it like this because it's the absolute truth. And I'm not going to make myself out to be somebody I'm not. So I went and turned around, I got this guy, and he got in my Jeep, and I said, where are you headed, man? Can I give you a ride somewhere? And he's like, yeah, I'm headed to Spanish Villa Apartments. And I said, oh, that's right by Asturias. And he's like, I'm new here. I don't even know what you're talking about. He said, I just got here from California because I just left the, the workforce program because I'm coming here to take care of my mom who's dying of cancer, and then I can go back home to be with my family. And I was like, great, thanks, God. That big, really? <laughs> Feeling it. Appreciate you. And he said, man, I must have got turned around. They said, just go down this way, and you'll see the apartment on your right-hand side along the interstate. And he said, I don't know where I'm at. I figured I'd walk up on him. He's walking down 154. There ain't nothing once you leave Sulphur Springs for 20 minutes to equipment. I mean, you're crossing a lake before you get to anything. And so I said, bro, you're going the complete wrong way. He said, like I said, man, I've, I've never been here before. And listen, this is the first time my wife is here in this story because it just so much stuff happens in my week. I don't tell her every little detail. And so I brought him to the apartments. I dropped him off and he pulled out his workforce folder and sure enough, he wasn't lying. It said workforce on the top. And he said, can I get your name and phone number? And I said, yeah. And I gave him my name and I gave him the phone number. And I said, man, if you need anything, just holler at me, let me know. And I'll make sure you get the help that you need. I say all that to say this. At that moment, money wasn't my biggest issue. My time was my biggest issue. My reputation was a bigger issue than this man walking down the street because what are they gonna think of me if I'm late, okay? My reputation was more important than this man. And God says, two. And so he got in my vehicle and he didn't smell the best. He'd been walking a couple miles. It was freezing cold outside. And when I brought him back with a tear in his eye, he said, thank you. I don't know if I'll ever see this man again the rest of my life. Don't know what's gonna happen to him. Don't know how to pray for him. All as I know that is if I saw Jesus walking down the road one day and you knew it was Jesus, would you stop? Whatever you've done to him, you've done to him. Whatever you didn't do to him, you didn't do it to him. So I'm gonna ask you, what will you do with your time, your energy, your efforts? We can't afford to be a Scrooge to those who are needy around us. And that's why I bring that illustration up. Our Scrooges towards the needy around us is a sign of our Scroogeness towards Christ. Ebenezer Scrooge was not just selfish with his money, but he was mean, greedy, and bitter because of his Scroogeness. We're pretty good at rationalizing why we don't need to give to the needy. What would happen if we as a church would begin to rationalize on why we do need to give to him. What if we as a church would begin to rationalize, I can't help but give this man a ride because it's Jesus. I can't help but be late for this meeting because this person is Jesus. I can't help but not show up right on time at this moment even though I, I, my reputation and everything's on the line because this is Jesus. When we are a Scrooge towards the resources of God, we're a Scrooge towards Christ. And when we begin to 
be generous to those who need help, to the needy. We begin to remove that spirit of Scroogeness. We remove that spirit of Scroogeness from the church. That spirit of Scroogeness develops over time. Because once you pass the man the first time, it's easy to pass him a second time. Once you pass the stranded traveler the third time, it's easy to pass him the fourth time. Once you pass him the fifth time, you don't even notice him the sixth time. That's how the spirit of Scroogeness works. That when you don't call the person who missed church this morning because you know they're sick the first time, you won't do it the second time. When you don't do it the, th the second time, you'll get quickened the third time. And when you don't do it the third time, you'll forget about it the fourth time and you'll never call somebody again. See, eventually what happens is we callous our heart so much to these needs around us and we justify why we don't have to do it. We've calloused our heart to the quickening of the Spirit of God. That's a dangerous place to be. When the church, the body of Christ, cannot hear or is not convicted by the Spirit of God when he's asking us to do something, we're in a dangerous place as a church. I'm going to challenge you today. When you are a Scrooge towards the resources of God, you're a Scrooge towards Christ. When you're a Scrooge towards the needy people of God, you're a Scrooge towards Christ. We can't afford to be a Scrooge towards the things of Christ for one specific reason. Not anything that you're going to see right now in the year 2013, right here today. On December 15th, 2013, you're not going to see the results of number three today. This is the hardest thing we ever do. We can't afford to be a Scrooge to the people around us because the generation after us is watching. What one generation tolerates, the next generation exploits. What do I mean by that? Tolerance of certain things three generations ago, two generations ago, one generation ago are the accepted norms now. Do you remember when a bedroom scene on a local sitcom was two people sitting on opposite sides of the bed, the covers pulled up to here and they were fully clothed to their neck, both men and women, and they didn't touch. That was the first bedroom scene on, on national television. It was called the Brady Bunch. You had Mr. and Mrs. Brady on opposite sides of the bed, both dressed up, fully clothed. They didn't touch. But what the first generation tolerated in a bedroom scene, the next generation exploited. Look at any local television show from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, Monday through Friday, and tell me what the bedroom scene is like. The next generation is watching. And what we tolerate, they exploit. And I just gave you a horrible negative term on that. Here's the good thing. What we tolerate, they'll exploit. What we begin to do just a little of and plant a seed in, they'll exploit it to the good as well. What we begin to prove to them this afternoon, the next generation, the two-year-olds, the four-year-olds, the six-year-olds, the eight-year-olds, the youth group over here, what we begin to show them as the body of Christ abroad this afternoon, they will begin to have seeds planted in them that they'll begin to exploit it. They'll make it go exponential the other direction. We can't afford to do nothing because the next generation is watching. What we tolerate, the next generation can exploit. How great would it be this afternoon for all of our kids, our youth, and everybody 18 years under see three churches operating in complete cooperation because we can't afford to prove anything else or show them anything else, guys. They're getting shown everything that they don't need to do seven days a week. Let's spend two hours today and show them everything they need to know about what the body of Christ is like. It doesn't matter what church you're in. It doesn't matter what walls separate us. We can come together for a cause because we're not doing it for somebody. We're doing it to Christ. And every gift bag we build, we're changing somebody's life because it's not about doing it to somebody. It's about doing it to Christ. But when I do it to them, I'm doing it to Christ. And if my kid leaves with the concept of, I just got to give a bag, it was well worth my time and my trouble and my energy and my effort and everything else. Remember these scriptures. Whatever you did to the least of these, you've done it to me. Whatever you did not do to the least of these, 
you did not do to me. God looked upon us, a generation of people that were lost and dying. And the Bible says this, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God looked upon us, lost, sick, naked, imprisoned, destitute, lost without a hope, lost without a cause. And he said, I can't afford to do nothing. So instead of doing nothing, I'm going to do everything in my power. And I'm going to send my one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. God said, I can't afford to do nothing. I'm going to lose the whole planet and everybody on it if I do nothing. So God said, I'm going to give. And I'm not just going to give. I'm going to give more than I've ever given before. God said, I destroyed the earth once and I gave him a rainbow. I promised I would never destroy it again. The enemy came in again and I gave him deliverers. I gave him Moses. I gave him King David. I gave him King Solomon and they reigned in prosperity. They kept running from me. So now the only thing I can do is not just give more, but it's give the most I've ever given. And I'm going to give them me because I know whatever I've done to the least of them, I'm doing it to them. So God said, I'm going to give more. And he gave more. More. 